0: So last Friday, as I was uh preparing for the message, I was down at Starbucks, and I have kind of a spot at starbucks um, unfortunately it's uh it's the farthest from the speaker um, in there and it's um, it's actually closest to where people come to stir their drinks and um, and throw away garbage and so i I've, I've yet to figure out which is the best, but it seems to be the workable spot for me and uh, and they kind of make a joke about that. Um, when I'm there, but one of the things, as I was studying Friday afternoon, uh, there was uh, three individuals that were sitting at a table, just one table removed from me, and as they began talking, I was actually really intrigued by what they were saying. And one of the individuals was uh, an author. I'm, I'm guessing fairly well known. I, I don't know who he was. I didn't ask his works. Um, I've actually seen him. I recognized his face. Uh, but was a, a novelist and had written several novels. And the people that were sitting with him, one was his his editor or assistant, and then the other was this editor assistant's husband. And so he was passing around pictures about him and uh, pictures of him with Ronald Reagan at Martha's Vineyard and some different things from years past. And listening to to this kind of conversation start up, and for a moment it was. Interesting, but then it got more interesting as they began this discussion as he turned to the husband of this editor and said, You know, do you know anything about Jesus? And so this conversation sparked up and they began talking about, about this this Jesus that was being spoken of. And so I kinda truthfully got a little distracted and tried to study and look like I was studying, but I was really listening and eavesdropping on their conversation. And, uh, and so it took a little while, and he, he kept asking that question. He said, well, you know that Jesus is offensive and was offensive during that time because he kept saying that he was the father's son. And as they began discussing, this, the, the husband of this individual kept kind of ignoring that statement, ignoring that statement, and finally this author, he said, you know, Christians believe that it's through Jesus that you you have salvation, and if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have salvation. And I thought, Yahoo, we got there! Like that's awesome, you know, good stuff. And as they talked, I went from encouraged to actually pretty quickly discouraged. Um, the husband said, "I I, I know the Bible. I, I'm Jewish." but I don't believe in the New Testament or the Old Testament, which was a little ironic to me. And then his wife jumped in and said, well, I believe God to be inclusive. I know the word, and I don't think that God says anything about the fact that people have to accept or believe in essence, but that she she didn't go that far. She just simply said, I believe that God is inclusive, and anyone is led into the kingdom of God. And as this author kind of sat off to the side. He said, well, I, I, I mean, I believe what the Bible initially says, but I also believe there are exceptions. I believe that there are exceptions. If you're a good person and you do good things for others, you will inherit the kingdom of God as well. And he turned to this man and he said, you're saved. And the man said, no, I'm not. And he said, you're saved. And he said, no, I'm not. And this conversation began to digress very quickly. And what I began to to realize as they were listening was that all three of them had this knowledge of God's word. And all three of them were rejecting the truth of God's word. And this individual, this author, was who had finished this series of novels, was now doing a new series and writing on biblical coding. And as he shared next, he said, well, I don't believe that God, you know, created Adam and Eve in this way. I believe that they were dropped off from some random universe. And the conversation took on a totally different turn. I stood there and I I, I sat and I listened. And as I listened, there was a debate in my own heart. Do I get up? Do I jump in? Do I say something? And I stood by the table, I was actually in the process of packing up right at the the middle of this conversation, and I kind of took forever to pack my things up. I'm sure people were wondering what was happening. But I debated, debated, is is it worth interjecting? And I had all the Scripture in my head, John 3.36, which speaks of believing in God, and yet for those who don't believe in the Son, the wrath of God is still upon them. It's a paraphrase of that passage, and other passages began coming to mind, and the truth was, was that in the rejection of the Word, they had rejected the very basic elements of God's truth. They had rejected the the basis message, the basic message of the gospel, which is, that we're in need of a Savior, and that that Savior is Jesus. Well, this morning we're going to look at 1 Samuel 28, and I'm going to come back to that story in a bit. But in 1 Samuel 28, 1 through 25, God reveals the effects of rejecting His Word and ultimately rebelling against Him. It's only through Christ being forsaken by God on the cross for our sake that we are able to experience his saving work in our lives. That's the only reason. So let's go ahead. We're going to read this chapter together. It's 25 verses. So let's go ahead and stand this morning as we, we read 1 Samuel 28. And This is what it says. It says, In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage Then Samuel said to Saul, "'Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up?' Saul answered, "'I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do.' And Samuel said, "'Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy?' And Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I've taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you've said to me. Now therefore you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on in your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly killed it and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it and she put it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we look at your passage, as we look at your word, a word that you have given us as a warning and as an instruction, God, may we hear with your ears and may we see with your eyes. May it be your spirit who speaks to us this morning, who enlightens and empowers your word in our hearts. Father, may you reach into the area and depths of our hearts, God, that we, we often close off. That we hide from you and we hide from others. And I pray that you would sift those areas of our hearts. Father, thank you for a word that reminds us of who you are and who we are. Thank you for your word that reminds us of the destructive power of sin and the absolute hope and blessing that comes through Jesus. So, Father, may it be your word this morning that goes forth in power. And may your spirit work among us, and we ask this in your name. Amen. The center of this message is the truth that hardening our hearts to God brings spiritual ruin rather than the comfort and wisdom we seek. Hardening our hearts to God brings spiritual ruin rather than the comfort and wisdom we seek. Hardening brings ruin. The hardening of our heart brings ruin. That's the central part of this passage. See, the passage begins by reminding us of David's entrapment with the Philistines due to his fear of man rather than the fear of God. And we saw that last week. In verses 1 through 2, it says, In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. We're reminded here in this beginning of the entrapment of David. That in a moment of weariness, in a moment of discouragement, David seeks his security in the leader of a foreign nation rather than in God. God. It's a moment of doubt. It's a moment of disbelief. And like many of us, David lacks trust in God's sufficiency, and that's led him into sin against God. The truth is, though, throughout that passage, we, if you recall, for a moment, we're told that David did not go against the Israelites while he was living with the Philistines, but rather went against the Amalekites. And destroyed them. Even though there was this was this snare of sin, God was still working His will and working it out. And we see throughout first Samuel David's consistent pursuit of the Lord. Oh yeah, chapter 27 is a backstep. But he has heeded God's word. Now, this passage, this little verse 1 and verse 2, these two verses may seem like kind of a blurb, but the reality is they're actually setting the stage for the remainder of the passage. This is kind of a unique situation. Chapter 27 actually chronologically is followed by chapter 29. That's the chronological order, and then chapter 28. But there's this unique little kind of sandwich here. This story of Saul is placed right in between the story of Philistines and David and David being released in God's grace. It's kind of like, hey, look, we want you to see how bad the situation is that David's in, but there's even one that's worse. Yes, sinning against God is not good, but there's one thing that's worse, if you picture it this way, the author of 1 Samuel's actually coming in, and it's like watching your favorite TV show, and you get to the good part, the climax of the story. It's all good, and all of a sudden, Channel 7 cuts in and says, we have a news break, right? And you're like, oh, come on, right? It's designed to grab your attention in that way. It's designed to say, whoa, wait a second here, David's over with the Philistines, And now you've cut to Saul? What's the breaking news? It's to garner our attention. And the truth is, is that this passage is a warning to the believers, and it's a warning to the lost. The entirety of this chapter 28 is a call to believers and a call to the lost, to see what happens when we harden our hearts to God. You see, although David's in trouble bearing the weight of the consequences of walking in the fear of man, Saul is in a far worse state. You see, those two verses actually are gonna help us contrast, really for a moment, the difference between a saint who sins and a sinner in need of God's grace. You see, David is one who is struggling with sin, yet Saul is walking in complete and utter rebellion against God. The worst state is hardening your heart to God. Now verse 3 through 6 continues this way. It says, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. What does that mean? In those days, God would speak through visions. And he would actually speak to the priest through the Urim. We don't know exactly what the Urim was, but it was a, a in essence most believe a stone of some type that was carried by the priests and it granted authority and through the Urim they gained direction and wisdom. God used that. And the prophets were silent. They had nothing to say. And so Saul has gone to God for comfort And wisdom, and yet God's voice and word has gone silent in his life. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? God's word has gone silent. Saul goes to God for comfort and wisdom, and yet God's voice is silent. So notice where he turns says here as verse 7 puts it then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who's a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her and his servant said to him behold there is a medium or a witch at endor so rather than turning to God when he doesn't hear God's voice he turns to a medium In fact, it says here that he disguises himself and under the cloak of darkness goes to this medium. Now the irony in this is that in this moment, he actually reveals the truth about himself. You see, Saul had been putting out the necromancers, the sorcerers. He had actually put them out of the land And outwardly, Saul would do the things that he believed that God wanted him to do. But inwardly, he was in utter rebellion to God. Inwardly, he had hardened his heart towards God. And so it's unique that Saul goes at nighttime in the dark to this medium. See, Saul's walking in darkness. And walking in darkness is a willing disregard and disobedience for God's word. That's what it is. He's willingly disregarding and disobeying God's word. See in Deuteronomy 18:10 it says, "There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering." anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. Saul knew. Saul knew that it was disobedience to actually call upon a medium. Isn't it unique? He wants to hear the voice of God according to his terms and he goes and disobeys God in an attempt to understand God. John three seventeen through 21, tells us something unique. It says this. It's the part specifically after John three sixteen, 16, which many of us know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then it says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see, Saul had been walking in disobedience, knowing the truth of God. He had actually experienced the anointing of God. And yet, Even though he had tasted God and even though he had seen his work and even though he knew his word, Saul consistently rebelled against it. He had hardened himself to God to a point that that hardening of heart had created enmity with him and God. You see, hardening our hearts towards God, what is that? It's continuing to reject God's word by remaining in sin and seeking our own will. Hardening our hearts towards God is continuing to reject God's word by remaining in sin and seeking our own will. Continuing to reject God's word. It's a continuous rejection. God's word is exposing things in our life, giving us direction, telling us what, what, what God is desiring for us, and we continue to put it off. We continue to seek our own will. And God says that we begin to harden ourselves towards God when his word is actually being revealed to us, and yet we are turning from it. Richard Phillips says this, he says, thus Saul is a dreadful reminder of the danger of Apostasy. An apostate is not a true believer in Christ who later falls away. Instead, an apostate is a professed believer, an outward member of the believing community who instead of engaging the Lord in true faith, hardens his heart towards sin. The ultimate result is not merely unbelief, but a seared conscience and a heart hardened to the point of no return. Saul was willing in his dark night of the soul to engage in outward motions intended to manipulate aid from God, but the Lord's ear is only open to those of a broken heart and contrite spirit. To Saul, God was a genie in the bottle. Saul wanted to live his life the way that he desired and in times of need simply turn towards the Lord. It is why God actually lays out that our lives are to bear fruit of salvation. That simply stating words of confessing faith, if our heart is not in agreement with what our mouth is saying, the Lord is making it clear that we will harden our hearts towards the things of God. You see, Saul was not seeking God, but rather Saul was seeking God's wisdom. There's a difference. See, God has called us to seek Christ, to seek him. But when we only seek his wisdom and his comfort and yet we do not desire him, that is when we know that we are hardening our heart. So the difference between then a person who is sinning or who is struggling with sin that they're just battling over and over with that individual that individual is seeking Christ he's seeking the Lord and yet still struggling with the flesh the hardened heart is not seeking the Lord but he is seeking the things of the Lord He's seeking the substitute. He's seeking the creation rather than the creator. He, he's seeking the blessing that God offers rather than the blessing of Christ. He's seeking the wisdom of God rather than God Himself. See, we don't need more understanding. We need more Jesus. We need more communion. That's why when you're in open and unrepentant sin and you say, Oh, I'm seeking God's word, God's word is clear. Repent. And when we don't repent, we are hardening ourselves to Him. And the scripture actually says that God's voice begins to go silent. You see, the desire for Saul is not a desire to follow God. It is simply a desire to receive the comfort and wisdom of God. So what happens next? Samuel says to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Now think about this for a minute. This is not a medium who has actually brought up Samuel. God actually is the one that allows Samuel to come forth. And I think that's an important part here. As we know from Scripture that the enemy has no authority over the righteous That God has full authority over it, and so God allows it to occur. Now, as you can imagine for a moment, Samuel's not overly happy about this. Experiencing paradise, I come back, and now I'm sitting in the middle of the night with a sorcerer and a king who hates me, right? This is not the idea of a good deal. And Samuel says, why have you bothered me? That's reasonable, right? I'm experiencing the glory of God, and oh, by the way, oh, by the way, you're bugging me, and listen to Samuel's response here. Saul says, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I've summoned you to tell me what I should do. See, he's not interested about God, and he's not interested in the things of God. He's only interested in the wisdom of God. He just wants to know how to defeat the Philistines, Ever find that in your own life? The subtlety? Where all you want from God is just the knowledge to know what's happening going forward? It's not wrong to ask God for wisdom, but if we are speaking to God, if all that we are desiring is what God delivers to us rather than God himself, we will slowly harden ourselves to the things of God. And so, Samuel answers this in this way. He says, and Samuel said, why then do you ask me? He's saying, you already know, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Whoa. Saul, right there, confronted with the consequence of his hardened heart. So what are some consequences of a hardening heart towards God? Here's the first one. God's silence. God's silence. In Romans 1, we're told what happens when we turn away from God and we harden our hearts towards Him. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to this honoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the the, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God handed them over to their own depravity. One of the most common sayings is the saying that God will never leave you nor forsake you, and it is a a passage that is used, and I want to say this carefully, it's often used as encouragement, but it's often used carelessly. That passage is a promise to believers, and believers only to those that are seeking him, who have sought him in repentance and believed on Christ for salvation. That's a promise to us. It's not a promise to the world. And it's not a promise to an individual who is hardening themselves to the voice of God. Because as we harden ourselves to the voice of God, God becomes more distant and more silent, and as we see in Romans 1, eventually, if you continue in unrepentant sin, He'll hand you over to the depravity of your desires. Hebrews 3, 13 through 15 says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it had said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. When God speaks to us, when God's word is convicting our heart and working in our heart, he's saying, obey now, don't delay. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And that delayed obedience that we can sometimes say, well, God, we got back to it, is still sin. We're hardening ourselves to God. And His voice becomes dimmer. And when we harden our hearts to God, we will experience the silence of God. God. In Psalm 13, we're told of something, though, that is such an encouragement. And what we're told in Psalms 13 is that when we are experiencing the silence of God, the one we are to continue to run to is God. David says this in verse 1, he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. When you experience the silence, the wilderness experiences, where are you running to? Are you running to God? Or are you running someplace else? If you're running someplace else, you're hardening yourself to the Lord. Lord. And this passage is not to stir up within us to come back and say, oh my goodness, I'm struggling with sin today, so I must be under condemnation. No. What it's saying is if you have sinned, God's saying, come to me so that I might give you victory over it and keep coming to the well, keep coming to the well, keep coming to the well. But if you have sinned in your life, that God's been working on and prompting on and you are rejecting it and you are turning a blind eye to what God is saying, I want to exhort you this morning and say, repent. Repent. Because God's silence is just the beginning. It's God's judgment that comes next. And this is what it says in verse 18 through 19. It says, Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Samalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Samuel just told Saul, guess what? Not only is your kingdom gone, but your life is gone too. Why? Because you disobeyed my voice. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul was instructed by Samuel to destroy the Amalekites. And Saul took his army in. And you know what he sought? Oh, he started with war and he started to destroy the Malachites, but he saw their plunder and he took the plunder, the best of what they had, when they were supposed to destroy all of it. And he kept it for himself. His comfort and his wisdom. God, you must not mean the best of these things that you want destroyed, because certainly we could use them. See how Saul was seeking his own comfort? Seeking his own wisdom, and yet it was leading to his own destruction. 1 John 3, 4 through 10 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning, this means continues to sin, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. It's important. He's saying, listen, if you think that you can walk in consistent sin without turning and repenting towards the Lord and think that God's grace is supplying for you, it is not. It's actually telling the true condition of your heart, which is one of rebellion, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wow. We're going to have battles with sin, but we're going to have battles with the Spirit. And if we're not having a battle with the Spirit, if the Spirit is not prompting our heart to repent, we have to seriously ask the question, are we one of Christ? You see, God's judgment is one of the results of a hardened heart. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says this, and I want to encourage you to write this passage down. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says simply this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, And then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Wow. Wow. That's a warning for us. God does not take lightly sin. He didn't take it lightly enough to just let it go by. In fact, he took it so seriously that he sent his own son to die for us. Hebrews 10, 26 through 27 adds, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth of God, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Wow. It kind of flies in the face of a lot of the modern messages about our faith, doesn't it? Keep going. God's a loving God. He's just love. Do whatever you want. Just go back and make sure that you ask for forgiveness on occasion. No, this is a God who says, listen, your faith is one of repentance and belief. Do not harden your heart towards me. final consequence then is what we see in verses 20 through 25. And this is an interesting picture. Saul falls face on, a, 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 on the ground and he's filled with fear and says that he didn't have any strength. And the, the medium, this woman, the one who's condemned, who's been put out by Saul and who's been instructed by God that they're to be actually be put out of the land she begins to be the one that comforts him. In fact, she tells him to eat and she provides him with a morsel of bread. And then it says, he refused and said, I will not eat, but his servants together with the woman urged him and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly killed it and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread up for it. And she put it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. A hardened heart will find temporary comfort with the condemned. A hardened heart will find temporary comfort with the condemned. When you're confronted with the word of God, and you're believing the voices of others who are walking in rebellion to God over the voice of God, guess what? They will be the only source of comfort you have, and it will be temporary. God will not allow you to remain comfortable in sin, and get, even if you silence His voice, even if you are under His judgment, the comfort that you might experience in rebellion in this life is temporary. And the truth is is even in this life, that comfort is temporary. Unrepentant sin actually often makes people physically ill. And it makes them ill because they're walking under the judgment and discipline of God. See, as believers, we have the promises in Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25, and it's the exhortation to us, it's the challenge to us Because when we keep our hearts humble before the Lord, he simply tells us this. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, when we're walking with God, God has given himself as comfort and he's given his body as comfort. When you harden your heart, you separate yourself from him and from the body of Christ. You separate yourself from the very things, the very ones that God has given to bring comfort to us. William Blakely says this, Among other effects of sin and rebellion, one of the worst is the stiffening of the soul. It's hard and rigid, so it cannot bend, it cannot melt, and it cannot change course. That's the result of a hardened heart. Saul had hardened his heart to God, and now he was condemned. And the warning to us is that we might not harden our hearts and be deceived, thinking that because we've professed faith and yet our heart never confessed Jesus as Lord. May we never grow to the point that we believe that sin is to be taken with a laxadaisical approach that God is patient and therefore we will test His patience. But when confronted with God's word, may we respond in obedience. What's interesting about verses 20 and 25 is it gives us another picture here. We have the story of another one, Saul who was forsaken by God, who God was no longer present, he was absent, he was gone, and who he was under his judgment, and under the only comfort he could find was one who was condemned. We, too, have a picture of another night, of one who was eating, who left after taking a morsel of bread and sold his soul to the devil and handed over Jesus. He too was forsaken. It's why we're told in 1 John that to remain in sin, to practice sinfulness is of the devil. And not of God. But then we have one other who was forsaken by God. And it was the one who was forsaken by God, not in disobedience, but in obedience. You see, we're told in Mark that there was a night that Jesus was on the cross And there had been darkness for three hours, and he looked to the Father and he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus went to the cross, separated himself from the Father because of our sin in obedience to the Father so that we might have life. A king who has now humbled himself, dying on the cross and being forsaken by his Father for our sake. Imagine anything worse. The silence of God, the judgment of God, and no comfort. The weight of sin. That is the weight of our sin. The silence of God, the judgment of God, and no comfort in him. That is what Jesus endured on the cross, a separation from the Father for our sake in obedience to the Father. And as a result, God raises him from the dead so that we might have life and forgiveness of sin. So what's the opposite of a hardened heart? It's a humble heart, a humble heart, our challenge really today is that we are to humble ourselves at the foot of the one forsaken by God for us, Jesus your Christ. Humble yourself at the foot of the one forsaken by God for us, Jesus Christ. All that Saul endured, Jesus endured more. He endured the weight of not simply Saul's sin, but of mankind's sin. Saul's sin seems bad, and the hardening heart and the consequence is destruction. But imagine taking the weight, not just for Saul, but the weight of all sin for mankind. In Isaiah 55, 6-7, through seven, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Listen, if you're walking in rebellion today and you know the truth and God is calling you to repent, there will be a day that if you remain in sin, he will silence his voice and he will not be found. That's what Scripture is saying. He will hand you over to your depravity. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Listen, you are never too far gone to repent and believe in Christ. Christ. I encourage you today, repent and believe on Christ if you never have for your sin, for your salvation. And I encourage to you, of those of us who have repented and believed on Christ, if we have sin in our life that we are just passively letting go by or we are willingly allowing to sit in our life and do nothing about, I encourage you, repent. Do not harden your heart toward the things of God. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 is an encouragement to this warning. A warning that we need to hear, and yet one that we need to be reminded of here that there is hope. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 reminds us that since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Where do we go? We go running to the cross. What happens when our heart is convicted? We run to Christ. We run to the throne of grace. God's good. I shared with you the story at the beginning of this conversation that took place. I battled within myself do I stand here? Do I bring a passage to these people? And so many times before, there have been other times in my life where I felt led to go and speak to them, and then I go, nope, not doing it, and I drive away, and then I find myself driving back. Many different times, unfortunately. I'm a slow learner. But on this day, I was wanting to say something, but I could not get a piece about jumping in. And I stood there, and I waited, and I stood there, and I waited, and I kind of threw my hands up, and I went back into my car, and I started driving home, and I kept thinking, well, this is really weird. I have no desire to go back. Well, that's really weird, God. Why did you bring that into my life? Then last night, as I was at Starbucks again, same place, sitting in the same seat, (laughs) studying until the end and closed shop with them at nine, and the evening supervisor came over to me, and she said, What are you book are you reading? so I showed it to her, and she said i I need to get plugged into a church someplace, and i I just need to to find a place to fellowship with other believers because I'm a Christian, but I haven't been to church in years. I just watch t v on Sundays, watch those that preach on- on t v and she said i i I would really like to actually be a part of a church. And I'd really like to actually be connected. And so we talked for a few minutes, and I walked outside again, not because of the previous example, but realized I had to go back inside because I had failed to give her my phone number. And I said, hey, you can call me at any time if you have questions. As I got in my car, God gave me that little picture and he said, that's the difference, Tim. When people seek me, I'm communing with them. But when people have hardened their hearts to me, my voice has gone silent in their life and they have been handed over to the depravity that they are in. Now, I'm not gonna make a judgment on those three, but it was a picture that helped me see what God does. It's not because of his love is not enough. It is to say that he hands man over to the desires of his heart, and if the desire of his heart is one of rebellion, man will be allowed to continue in his depravity apart from God. So may we today be people who repent. And in the words of 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, May we humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt us. and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thanks. Thanks for this warning, God. Thanks for warning us of the consequences of sin. May we not grow hard to you, but God, may we walk in humility. May we humble ourselves before you so that you might establish us as we walk with you in light and not in darkness, and we ask this in your name, amen.